0: episode three of the build the one that follows a five-game win streak for your Montreal Canadiens pretty exciting it's I think it's the first one of those in probably six years and I think it's the first one without Carey Price in even longer than that let's just say that um before we get too deep into this one and you know get into the hockey talk of it all I I feel it's important to um talk the big event happening in the world, that being the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, I I don't have anything super intelligent to add to this conversation. Um, I'm anxious about the world we live in. I'm sure a lot of you are. I'm sure a lot of you use podcasts and other types of media as an escape. Um, there's not much of an escape here, unfortunately. Um, you know, we see on Twitter the incredible... Resolve and resistance and bravery of the Ukrainian people, but it's it you know it's bittersweet in the sense that it's a tragedy we have to see any of that to begin with um, you know over the last six years or so, it feels like we live in an unprecedented moment every few weeks. Um, I feel overwhelmed by doom scrolling. It's not good for me, but my brain thinks it is. Um, I need that information in order to feel comfort, although comfort never comes from it. Um, And it's even more overwhelming when you think about events like, you know, the U.S. involvement in the Middle East or U.S. covert operations and war games that are taking place in Africa. Um, You know, there's, there's stuff going on in this world that, you know, is not unlike what's happening in Ukraine, and you wonder why those... Don't get as much airtime. You know, our brains weren't meant to process information the way that it's being presented to us now. Uh, Twitter's a bad place for that. Um, You know, on Sunday, if you were on Twitter at all, you're getting, you know, saber rattling from warmongers next to hockey highlights next to euphoria takes. And I, you know, it's, it's somewhat callous and, and, you know, I say that with a hint of sarcasm, but at the end of the day, like, that's the reality that we live in is that's, that's the primary way information is presented to us. And our brains aren't designed to process that all in a very healthy way. Um, You know, I think of, um, I think of Bo Burnham's inside, you know, he has a, the welcome to the internet song he talks about um, how the internet is just a amalgamation, an amalgamation of, of just garbage being thrown at you all of the time. And there's all of it. There's no dimmer switch on the internet. Um, and you know, as things happen in our world of, of an increasing, you know, uh, that are increasingly bad, we see it all. These events are always happening in some capacity or another. Someone's life is is being overturned just about every day, and Twitter makes sure that all of we see all of them every single time it happens, so you're forgiven for logging off that's okay. It's not healthy for you to to take all of this in at all times. We're not solving anything on Twitter um there's no no meme will fix this so. You know you're forgiven for logging off, for disconnecting when you can. But where we can't disconnect is is in support for the Ukrainian people. Um. I don't even know what else to say. Find find ways you can support, and that doesn't just mean boycotting Russian goods. It means you know proactively aiding. The humanitarian crisis that's going to um, that's going to come out of this um, in Ukraine. Um, stay safe, stay calm, and glory to Ukraine. All right, now for the hardest, worst segue you've ever handled, we have to talk about the Canadians. Um, I'm gonna shake that all awkwardness off. If I had a soundboard, I'd probably play some joke just to hammer home the how awkward this is going to be, but. Such is life. Um, if you listen to the first two episodes of The Build, um, you know this episode was supposed to be about coaching. And by the title and by the fact that I just used the word was, you now understand that this episode is not going to be about coaching. At least not entirely. There's a, there's small bits and pieces of it. Um, but it's not. I wanted to focus on, you know, the things that Dom Ducharme did. Um, maybe even the things that, that Claude Julian did. And then, you know, sort of pick up on what Martin St. Louis is doing now and see, you know, what's different. The only problem is I don't know anything about that stuff. Um, And I promised you guys in the first episode that with things like prospects or other things that I don't know about, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know about these things or pretend I do. I'm going to do research on stuff that I think is interesting. I'm going to research... I'm going to find places and people that I trust to do research on those topics. Um, I didn't have time this week. I'm sure you can all understand the concept of this week running out of time. Um, so for now, I put together some, some topics that I wanted to talk about, just sort of a, a grab bag of things um, that I thought were interesting this week. And it's funny, right before I started recording... Um, or I should say just at some point on Monday, um, something reminded me of a point I made in last week's episode. Um, I talked a little bit about leaks and, you know, a, a leak coming from the organization or, you know, a leak of some impending move. Oftentimes that's a sign that the the player has been notified of the change. They've been notified that they're being moved or being waived or, so on and so forth. Um, and I said that that was a good thing. If a player is being notified of a trade before it happens and it leaks, that's just the the price of doing business a lot of the time. Um, the Edmonton Oilers apparently do not agree um, because allegedly, or I shouldn't even say allegedly, um, today Brendan Perlini of the Edmonton Oilers was placed on waivers and he found out because his mom saw it on Twitter and told him about it. Um... Perlini was not, at least according to Brandon Perlini's mom, who I believe is a <laughs> is a trustworthy source on this information. Um, according to her, Perlini was never made aware of his being of his placement on waivers, um, which is just a terrible look. I would much rather that information leak if it means the player knows ahead of time, than have a player not know where he's going to play hockey in a day's time and not, not tell him until the rest of the world knows there's, there's a level of, you know, there's, it's just, it can't happen. It can't happen this way. Um, so not only do I think that they treated Perlini poorly, um, it's just bad management. It's bad relationship building. It's just bad all around. But I also think that someone's going to claim him. Um, I kind of hope it's the Canadians, if they can find room for him. He's a, a, if you remember from earlier this season, he had a a clip that kind of went viral because he's, you know, he's just a really incredibly positive guy. Um, You know, he was saying that they don't look at things as if, you know, the sky was falling when the Oilers were losing a whole bunch of games in a row. Um, You know, he was very positive. He had a smile on his face the whole time. And I remember the end of that, um, you know, they, he's like, we just have to get back to playing the right way, doing the right things. And someone asked him, when are you guys going to start doing that? And he smiled and said, next game. Um, I think that's, I think his, that personality is just an incredible, um, it would be an incredible fit for this Canadians team. Who's kind of lost its way in in positivity. They're certainly getting it back under Martin St. Louis, but, um, it would be really cool to see him in Montreal. I think that would be a, a nice fit for him. Um, And also screw Ken Holland and the Oilers. I think that's really the reality there. Okay. Um, The first real topic I wanted to talk about was the resurgence of of Cole Caulfield. It's kind of been a a bit of pride for Canadians fans now because we were, you know, the the Caulfield hype when he was drafted was huge. When he went through college, that the following season was huge. He signs his entry-level deal in Montreal. He plays a few regular season games, scores some overtime winners generally looks like a major threat to score in the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, this season starts and it just doesn't get off to the right start for him. It, very, it was, became very clear that Dom Ducharme didn't see him as a top forward on this team very quickly. Um, in 30 games under Dom Ducharme, um, Cole Caulfield scored one goal, He had seven assists for a total of eight points. Um, He shot at 1.4%, and he averaged about 1440 uh, of of ice time a game. So there's a little bit to unpack there. First of all, that shooting percentage, that's not Cole Caulfield. That was going to regress to the mean. Um, That, of course, meaning his average is probably somewhere much higher than that. It's probably closer to around 10, 11, 12%. Um just based on the fact that he's a very accurate shooter. He's also a volume shooter, so you know that, that that plays into that as well. But someone with his shot should be somewhere in the low double digits. Um under Martin Saint Louis in the first eight games, he's got ten points, six goals, and four assists. So he's over a point per game under under uh Martin Saint Louis. Canadians are also five and three under Martin St. Louis. Um he's averaging 17 and a half minutes a game and now he's shooting at 25%. So you can sort of see that there's reason to believe that a lot of this is just regression to the mean, but I mean he's also shooting at 25% now. Every one and every if he if he shoots the puck 4 times in a game he's scoring a goal. That's not I don't think that's terribly reasonable for him. I think, you know, even on the high end, that'll probably drop to at least the mid-teens. Um, unless you're like Paul Byron and, you know, Paul Byron would just score. He would score at literally 20% of his, his shots. Um, a lot of them being breakaways. A lot of them being just right in on top of the net because that's where he plays. Cole is not really that kind of player. Um, he's going to score from the outside just because he's got a really good shot, but he's also going to find some opportunities in high danger scoring opportunities and scoring chances, which is kind of where I wanted to, to go next. Um, shooting percentage is an important stat. It, it kind of either way you look at it, you can kind of say, well, that's not who that player is. If it's too high, you can say, well, that's not, he's not going to shoot at that at 25% forever. You can say the same thing on the other direction. You can say he's not going to shoot at one point four percent forever. Um, so you can tell if they if you know, if a player is consistently shooting at that shooting percentage. Well, that's just where he shoots. Um, you know, if it's if it's five, six, seven years in a row where he shoots at twenty percent, you go well, he's just a twenty percent shooter. That's just who he is. Um, but when you have an eight game stretch where you're shooting at twenty five, and the the thirty games before you're shooting at one point four. You start to wonder if maybe he's just on a bender right now. Um, I think he, like I said, I think he's a high percentage shooter, but I also see that he's more of a, he's a volume shooter. He's going to shoot the puck a lot. Um, I think that that's okay. Like if his, if he scores 30 and his shooting percentage is 8%, I'm not going to complain. That just means he might even have more room to grow, but he's, he's got to shoot the puck more. We've known that since since he he got to Montreal, I I want to say that 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 Saint Louis kind of looked at him and said, "You're Cole Caulfield, shoot the puck." Um, but these things generally balance out over time. Um, but going back to Saint Louis, I there was this narrative coming around from the the you know the the advanced stats community, and I'm not I'm not dragging this narrative. I think that they're based they're basing it in in their statistics. I don't disagree with it on its face but there was this idea that you know nothing has really changed under um under martin saint louis for cole caulfield and that he's just shooting better like the puck is just going in for him um so i dug into that a little bit um i looked up some some of those fancy stats um they're five on five numbers from naturalstatric.com um in the 30 games under dom ducharme He had an expected goals percentage of 44.65, which was good for 15th best skater on the Canadians. Um, Skater meaning defenseman and forward. Um, And expected goals is kind of a a collection of a bunch of stats that show here's how many goals you should score if everything goes the way we think it should. Um, Scoring chances, four. He was at 44.74% good for 17th on the Canadians and high danger chances for while he was on the ice were 32.86 good for 23rd on the Canadians. So you're seeing a Cole Caulfield who is every time that he is on the ice, the Canadians are getting less of each of those categories. They're getting fewer expected goals. They're getting fewer scoring chances. They're getting fewer high danger chances and like they're getting dummied in high danger chances. That's, you know, if you're getting 32.86% of the percent of the high danger chances, your opponent is getting 67% of them. You're getting a third of them. Um, under St. Louis in the eight games, and I'll note, of course, this is a low sample size and the Canadians have won five of those games and they've looked pretty good in just about all five of those games that they've won. Um... It's a low sample size. We can't put too much stock into it. However, there are some there are some trends that are leading me to believe that Cole Caulfield is playing well under this new coach. I don't know why I'm going to dig into that for an, a future episode. But in the eight games under St. Louis, that expected goals percentage is now 63.64, good for seventh on the Canadiens. The scoring chances four are up to 55.32, which is good for fourth on the Canadiens. And the high danger chances are up to 51.72%, good for 11th on the Canadians. So he's up in every category. He's over 50% in every category, which means he's outplaying the other, or he's at least out chancing and out expected goalsing the opposing team every time every, when he's out on the ice. Um, so, you know, you can say, well, a sample size, like this might not carry over. This might not be able to extend past the bender that he's on fine. But this is what we have to work on now. And it's encouraging to see that, that they were able to write that ship. Um, I think a lot of it is now that he's, he's one, he's playing more Two, he's playing with some really complimentary players. Um, Nick Suzuki, you can see the you can see the, The chemistry developing right in front of us. There are times when Cole Caulfield is in the slot or in front of the net, and Nick Suzuki is in the corner or behind the net, and he's making a no look backhand pass that's almost connecting. Um, Those are going to drive you nuts when the Canadians aren't playing well. But in a lost season where, you know, I don't know, we don't know what, you know, we don't know what comes next season. We're just trying to see what we have this season. I like to see that sort of thing. Take chances, put the puck in a spot where you might not have given the pressure of playing in the National Hockey League. I think it goes back to what Martin St. Louis has said about reads the whole time. Um, he doesn't like system, he likes structure, because in a structure, he, he relies on his players to make reads. Suzuki making that pass to Caulfield in the slot is a read. So I hope we, we see more of that. And Of course, Josh Anderson being on the other wing is huge because Josh Anderson's huge, he's able, he buys a lot of space for those players, Um, you know, not only that, but Josh Anderson is a very good player, I think, in transition, I don't have the numbers to support that, but just the eye test, he's able to go from his own defensive zone to the opposing blue line, very easily, with a full head of steam, Um, I'd like to see him pass a little bit more, just because I think a lot of time, um, he kind of plays on an island, but It's a good fit. That's a very good line, and it gives you reason to keep Josh Anderson if you were looking for one. The one area of the the Canadiens game that can improve, that might also improve Cole Caulfield's, you know, outlook, is they got to fix that power play. And I'm not overly optimistic that they fix it before the end of the year because, I mean, God love them, but the second power play unit has Rem Pitlick on it. You know, like, it's just not... They're, you know and other teams know that so they can they can stack their best penalty killing unit against that that you know Cole Caulfield line they don't have to save anybody for the second unit and they can kind of shut that unit down also in the future with more weapons being added to that power play it buys a little bit of space for for Cole Caulfield. but if the canadians can figure that out in the long run that's going to you know boost Cole, Cole Caulfield's value for this team um you know he's he's just a pure shooter I th- it's nice that they've moved him back to that, um, you know, that Weber spot where he can actually shoot the puck. I don't hate him in the bumper spot. It might be a good change of scenery in the future if you've got him on the wall and you know everybody's shading over on him and he can't get open. To just swip him, switch him and Suzuki and move him to the bumper, move Caulfield into the bumper spot. It might cause a little bit of confusion. The idea though is to not be entirely sold on one plan of attack. And just stick with that plan of attack for 82 games. I, th- you know, part of me believes that was Dom Sherm's plan was to just stick with the same plan on the power play and see if something worked, um, and it never did. I'm hoping we see a little bit more change there. I wonder, you know, if there's a if there's a coaching change behind the bench for for who handles the power play next season. But that's next season. So you know, in in short. I don't think St. Louis has alone fixed Cole Caulfield. I think this is—I do think that you know the advanced statistics community is correct in saying that this is a regression to the mean of sorts. However, it's majorly caveated by the fact that you know a new coach was brought in. We can't—we cannot observe those two items in a vacuum. They happened simultaneously. Cole Caulfield didn't wake up on February 10th not think about his new coach and say, I'm going to shoot at 25%. It just didn't happen that way. Um, I I think that, I think St. Louis has given this team confidence. He's talked about swagger more than confidence. Cole Caulfield is one of those guys that needs to play with swagger. Um, I think it's working. I'd like to see that development continue. You know, can he sustain this level of play over 20 games, 30 games, 40 games? Can we see it? It's going to be challenging, but that's the sort of we're in an evaluation period for this for this team. Um, they're looking at what Cole Caulfield can probably do, you know, going into next season, um, and that's going to matter, you know, based on another topic that I have later on. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is something I, I asked on Twitter the other day, and I think a lot of people have the same question: Why is Ben Chirac still playing? Um, prior to the game on Saturday against Ottawa, Corey Schuneman was activated off the COVID protocol. Um, That gave the Canadians seven active defensemen. They have seven healthy defensemen who can play on any given night. And despite that, Ben Sherrod is still playing. This isn't a Ben Sherrod is bad, don't play him rant. This is a Ben Sherrod is going to be traded. You need to maximize the return on that asset. And him getting hurt would be catastrophic rant. (laughs) It's, it is very important that the Canadians hit on this asset. Ben Sherrod is going to command a first round pick at the trade deadline. A first round pick plus, we don't know what that plus is. There seems to be, you know, some level of confusion there, or it'll be a, a prospect that they see the value of being a first round pick. Um, you can't miss that. It's not it's not a it's not up for debate. The Canadians need to they need to do right by whatever this process is, if they're calling it and we'll get into that, that's I think up next. The Canadians don't retool slash rebuild slash build anything if they cannot move this expiring asset that has no value to them. And again, this isn't a, that's not a that's not a comment on Ben Sherat the hockey player. It's a comment on Ben Sherratt the asset. The Canadians are not making the playoffs this year. At the end of the year, Ben Sherratt is no longer property of the Montreal Canadians. You need to move him. You know, even if that means like let's pretend that that Corey Schuneman is still on the COVID reserve list. Play thirteen forwards and 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 five defensemen, you know prior to today's practice, the Canadians had fourteen forwards active and healthy. Cedric Paquette took a shot to the knee and left practice early, so they're down to thirteen forwards, but that's still thirteen forwards that you can play instead of icing six defensemen um yeah, the Canadians have two defensemen on IR one of them Joel Edmondson looks like he's going to come back sooner rather than later um. He practiced in a a full contact jersey on Monday. He won't play against Winnipeg on Tuesday, but he's traveling with the team on the Western Canadian trip. It's likely he's back at some point soon. Um, So you have him coming back. I don't know anything about David Savard coming back. And Christ, they still have him for three more years after this one. Like That's another contract that you probably won't be able to move. All the reason more, you need to maximize the return for Sharat because you're not going to be able to move some some other guys. Um, and we already saw, we already had our mini panic about this when Sharat, his ankle bent very the wrong way on February 12th against Columbus. He sat out a week. He was on the IR. Apparently that hasn't damaged his trade deadline, but now we're three weeks out from the trade deadline. It's on March 21st. The bottom line is there's just no reason for Ben Sherratt to be playing in these games. Every team that is going to try to acquire him knows who Ben Sherratt is. They know the style of game that he plays. They know what they're willing to give up. They know what they're not willing to give up. Kent Hughes is just waiting for someone to finally make that that offer that puts it over the top. He'll get it. I'm not con- I'm not concerned that that the Canadians aren't going to get a good offer. I'm just concerned that, you know, They might try to overplay their hand here. It's cold and calculated, but it's the reality of being a general manager in this league that I think Kent Hughes is going to learn sooner rather than later. Bubble wrapping Ben Sherratt for the next 21 days if you have to is the just action. It's the right thing to do for this team. The trade's coming soon. The bottom line is that Hughes just needs to protect the asset and by extension the future of this hockey team. Um, you know, that first round pick or that first round pick level prospect that they get is going to be here much longer than Ben Sherrod is. So you need to move on from him. And with that, I think it's it's a an easy transition to, you know, looking not only at the UFAs, because there are a few, and maybe I'll talk about those at a later date. But I was really intrigued by the restricted free agents that are left on this team um most notably Arturi Laikinen who I think the room is kind of split 50-50 on whether or not they think he's going to go um but I wanted to go through them quickly and and, you know sort of gauge my level of comfort with them moving or staying and seeing kind of what I think is going to happen I'll start with Rem Pitlick who the Canadians picked up for free on waivers um I think he's the most interesting one in the bunch. He's still. This is his rookie season, which my friend Scott Matla from Locked On Canadians mentioned. Um, you know, he, he, it's his rookie season. He's twenty four years old. He's he's got nine points in seventeen games with the Canadians. He was a free asset. I really wonder if they keep him. Um, you know, someone's got to play games for this team. Someone has to play a bottom six role for this team. I think he plays it well. Um, and again, he's a guy you got for free. Um, Montreal is likely a seller next season too. Even if you, you know, you're going more with the retool aspect than a rebuild, they're still not competing next season. I don't think, um, so, you know, you sign him to a year, I think that still keeps him under RFA. Um, and if you're a seller then, and maybe his value has gone up, you can move him then. But I kind of I, I would like to take a flyer on him and and see him in a full season with the Canadians and see what we have, um, in Rem Pitlick. It's I, I I personally think the Wild made a mistake getting rid of him. I think Rem Pitlick thinks that the Wild made a mistake getting rid of him in his comments afterwards, where he said I you know I I did everything they asked of me, um, and you know he's he's not a he's not a bad hockey player. I I kind of like the game that Rem Pitlick plays. It's very Paul Byron esque. Um, even though the 32 on the back of his jersey reminds me of Brian Flynn, only left-handed. So I I wouldn't be shocked or upset if he were traded. Um, You know, but you're not leaving any value on the table by keeping him, I think. So for me, it could go either way. I'm not, I wouldn't be upset if he's gone, but again, would understand that's just the business. And you'd be turning a waiver asset into, you know, an, an asset you acquired on waivers for nothing into a tangible asset that you can use at the draft. Um, I'll do Arturi Lekinen next. I've liked Arturi Lekinen for a really long time. Um, when he was a rookie, I was clamoring for him to be on the, the roster when, he, you know, in that, that training camp. Um, he had a fantastic rookie season. I think he had 18 goals. Um, he suffered, I think, some back injuries that have kind of limited his ability to shoot. Um, he's a pesky pesky forward um he's the kind of guy that i think a lot of teams would hate playing against in the playoffs because he just always seems to be lurking around in the offensive zone on the forecheck um he's a really really valuable piece for these for the canadians if they keep him or if they trade him but i i do think he's gonna get paid this summer i do think someone's gonna give him a you know three and a half million dollar contract over three years um I just don't think that it's going to be the Canadians, unfortunately, um, which is fine because, it, you know, again, I think he, he can get you really good value at the trade deadline because I think a lot of really smart teams know what they ha- what the Canadians have in Arturi Lekanen. Um, so, it, you know, again, that would be one that's really hard because Lekanen's been around for a long time. He scored the goal that sent the Canadians to the Stanley Cup final. I don't think he'll ever have to buy a drink in Montreal ever again. Um, again, and like I said last week with Tyler Jafoli, I wouldn't be surprised if they traded him and he came back in some capacity. Not that they would trade for his RFA rights or anything like that, but maybe down the line he comes back to Montreal. Um, he seems to be a guy who has really thrived in this environment. Um, I have I've, I've I very much have enjoyed the Arturi Likinen experience. I'll be bummed when it's over. The logical part of my brain is telling me it's over and I should just accept that and take whatever picks prospects we get in return, but it you know, it would be cool to really to to keep him around. And I do think he'd be worth more in a trade than he would be on this team over the next X number of seasons. Um just because I think teams are going to be desperate looking for a forward like him. I think um, I think Frank Saravalli reported a few weeks ago that teams are begging the Canadians for Artie Rykenin. So We'll see what's going on there. Uh, Michael Pozzetta is an interesting one. Um, just because I don't think I have a strong opinion either way. If a team steps up and says, I'll give you a fourth round draft pick for Michael Pozzetta you probably do it. Um, just because he doesn't, he's not providing much in the way of offense. He's not providing much in the way of defense. He's very much just an emotional aspect to add to a team. And the Canadians don't really need that to finish out the season. Um, again, another guy I could see coming back, but I I don't, I I don't, I don't really care if he stays or goes. It doesn't, it doesn't move the needle for me either way. Um, one that I think a lot of people are forgetting is is a restricted free agent is Alexander Romanov. Um, I'll start by saying, I don't think there's a chance he's traded at this deadline. Um, I'd truly, truly be shocked. However, I am starting to wonder if he's, if we've kind of seen what Alex Romanoff is, Um, that being a very one-dimensional defenseman, uh, he throws the body, he's tough in front of the net, he's tough to go into the corners with, but we've got defensemen like that under contract. We've got him, we have David Savard who we were told he was tough in front of the net, but everything I've seen, he kind of just lets dudes walk right into the front of the net. Joel Edmondson, who's now coming back, is another one of those. Uh, I just... I'm not I'm not saying it's time to trade Alex Romanoff. I'm kind of wondering maybe if the Martin Saint-Louis experience changes the way that he plays the game a little bit. Um, but there's not much in the way of offense for him. Um... He's, he's played 50 games this season he has seven points uh, for a second a second year is his second year it's his second full it's his second season but the Canadians burned the first year of his entry-level deal by just inviting him to come play to come practice with them in the bubble um again I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon but I am keeping cl- a close eye on on his development moving forward I I I really wonder if he tops out as, like, a low-end four, number four defenseman who's, you know, a very physical player, and that's really it. Um, which, you know, if you're getting that in the third round, fine. I, you know, you don't need to talk me into an NHL player who can play a strong physical game in front of his own net, stopping the opposing rush, that sort of thing. But I, I we were kind of promised a little bit more, Um you know, n- not to focus on one world junior, but you know, the world junior where I think he was he was the best defenseman in the tournament, he lit it up offensively as well. We we just haven't seen it. Um so I'm wondering if that's coming. Or if not, and this is just who he is, plan the team around him accordingly. Or, you know, account for his spot on the roster and in the team's salary cap structure accordingly. Um uh, next up, Kale Clegg. Again, a free asset. I, I don't think he hasn't really shown he's worth keeping and he hasn't really shown any other team that he's worth trading for so I kind of wonder if he just sticks around and you know in the off season, they try to just get him to his qualifying offer and keep him and maybe stash him in the AHL but I have not seen much in Kale Clegg that would inspire much confidence in signing him or or if I was another team trading for him um Next, the aforementioned Corey Schuneman. He's 26. He'll be 27 when next season starts. Maybe you keep him past the season, but you start to look at his long-term outlook in Montreal. And the same goes for Kel Klaig. Like, there are defensemen coming. There are defensive prospects coming through this system that are going to need a place to play in the NHL. Um, I think Matthias Norlander is... I don't think he's going to spend time in Laval. I think that's part of the reason why he went back um, to Europe. I think he's going to come here and he's going to try to secure an NHL job. And next year, you should probably give it a shot. Um, Same goes for Jordan Harris and Jaden Struble. I think Jordan Harris is the one that is is sort of up in the air whether or not he'll sign. Um, Although Ken Hughes seems confident that he will sign in Montreal. We'll see when his college season ends. But there has to be room for these guys to step into this lineup. Um, you know, you're, let's assume they keep Jeff Petrie and then they've got, um, Joel Edmondson and they've got David Savard and they've got, that's three roster spots there. Oh, and they've got Romanoff as well. That's four. So then you've got three really, really good defensemen who are fighting for two spots up, you know, assuming that they, they take that leap immediately and they're in the NHL. Um, but again, those other guys are around for a long time. Those those, those guys that I named above them. So the, that's sort of the, the thing that you need to take into account when you're planning the roster moving forward. With that said, I don't know. Kurt Schoenman's probably better suited as, as a, an AHL guy. He probably would tear it up in the AHL. Maybe you keep Min Laval. Um, but it's possible that some team will offer him League Min to go play an NHL role somewhere. So, you know, he might not want to stick around in Laval. Both things to consider and the last one is the only um the only goalie on this list sam montembo uh he's in a weird spot he's probably not a montreal canadian next year just by virtue of goalies getting healthy um is, if price plays again which is still up in the air but i would i i'd venture to guess that he will um he's likely back next season jake allen is most likely back next season You have Caden Primo in the minors. So is Sam Montembeau signing on with this team to potentially be an AHL backup? I don't think so. But at the same time, I don't think anyone's going to make a trade for him before the end of the year just because his numbers are bad. He's got a 353 goals against and 902 save percentage with the Canadians this year. I truly believe he's a victim of the situation he's in. Um, But unless someone wants a practice goalie, at the NHL level for the rest of the season or the Canadians are getting another goalie and they need to have Montembo, or they're trading Montembeau he's probably just sticking around Um, so that's all I had for the RFAs we'll see how those how that develops over the next three weeks and then into the summer seeing how that that plays out as well Um, but definitely interesting times as far as players that the Canadians have control of past the season despite the fact that they do not have contracts past the season. Um, it gives them a little bit of flexibility, but also you make you can make the case that maybe it's time to move on from them and acquire assets in return. And speaking of that sort of action, I wanted to mention you know the the retool versus rebuild argument. Um, I don't normally listen to Tony Marinero, however, on his podcast he had um, Pierre Lebrun on to talk about you know the state of the Canadians and what's coming next. And I found one quote from Pierre LeBron in there to be very telling of um well first of all of his ideas of what Montreal is doing. But since that podcast has aired, he's been much more concrete about it, saying that this is the direction that the Canadians are going to try to go. Um, so, you know, Tony Marinera asked if a rebuild won't happen because it will scare the fans. And I'll just read directly from what um, Pierre Lebrun said on that podcast uh, LeBron said well I don't think it's just that and this is more my theory than information but I think Jeff Molson has to sell tickets the next few years and I think that I think there is not an appetite from Molson himself to drop a crater on this roster like the Coyotes are doing in Anaheim uh, so I think what this is going to end up being and again we're playing with words there's no question guys are going out the door and they're getting younger but I think guys are saying, too, it's more of a transition slash retooling um, than there are guys that have to be in this lineup next year. The Montreal Canadiens have a business to run. That's my opinion. I could be wrong, but let's revisit in a year. He's since kind of doubled down on that by saying that, you know, the Canadians are going to try to sign free agents. They're going to be active in the free agent pool. At least that's, again, his best information that he has. So... First my first thought of this was that I'm so increasingly frustrated with the way that this uh team slash market slash media landscape attacks the idea of the rebuild. Um for years we were told fans were told that the market, meaning us, would not tolerate a rebuild. Make no mistake, when they mention when when anyone talks about the market they mean the people who keep the lights on the people who pay the bills the people who buy the tickets it's us they told us for years that it was us who would not tolerate a rebuild and now when i i would say that like the majority of the fan base is okay with the idea of rebuilding especially with montreal poised to draft very high in this year's draft and potentially land Shane Wright or next year, when you know you have Connor Bedard available first overall and Mitch Koff going second, you have a chance to acquire a franchise-changing player next year. Um, but it seems like the onus of Jeff Molson is to sell tickets, which is frustrating because in Montreal, I feel like you could do both. You could, and that I think. In bringing in St. Louis, you've proven that you can do both. You can be exciting and still not ice the best product. I don't think it makes a ton of sense for the Canadians to spend a bunch of money on Johnny Gaudreau this offseason. Because I don't think they're a Johnny Gaudreau away from being any closer to winning a Stanley Cup. That's the whole goal of this podcast, right? Is for me to decide whether or not the Canadians are any closer to winning a Stanley Cup. And I don't think them throwing a bunch of money at UFAs this summer is the right move. Nor do I think it's going to sell any more tickets. The Canadians are always going to sell tickets. Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki are there. They're going to score goals. They're going to do things that you're not going to want to miss. That's how you sell tickets, is by telling people, these. this is the future of the Montreal Canadiens. You're watching it right in front of you. And that's why you get Matthias Norlander into the lineup next year. And you make sure you sign Jordan Harris. And you get Jaden Struble. And you get all these guys in the lineup. And you say, look, it's here. We're building it now. Come watch it. Be a part of it. So I think we have every right to be frustrated by this. Um, it, the term gaslighting is far too serious for what they're doing to us. But if there was a term for it that was built into hockey, I'd be using that. Um, I, I just, I don't, I, I can't wrap my mind around the fact that for years they told us, well, it's your fault we're not rebuilding. And now when we're all comfortable with a rebuild, they go, actually, the owner wants to sell tickets. And LeBron might be wrong. Pierre Lebrun might have this entirely wrong, but going off of what he is thinking, that concept is irritating. Um, And, you know, last, was it last week I talked about the Toffoli trade? At least a little bit of it. Um, You know, a lot of people seem to think that the Toffoli trade indicated the Canadians were rebuilding, and I I pumped the brakes on that idea because I, I didn't think that it did. Toffoli has two years left on his contract after this season. That tells me the Canadians said, we are not competing in the next two years, so Toffoli does not mean anything to us right now. He can go somewhere else. When you move a guy like a Brennan Gallagher, I said, I said on that podcast, it he's a canary in the coal mine. If he's dealt, that's a rebuild. The same goes for... Josh Anderson, who we've been seeing a lot of teams potentially interested in. If Josh Anderson goes, you're looking at a rebuild, just based on the term they have left on the contract and the fact that they're still effective NHL players right now. The Toffoli trade was never an indication of a rebuild. Um, You know, you can look at potentially Petrie being an indication of a rebuild, but, I mean, he made it kind of clear that he wanted out. So I don't know how much that's a rebuild as much as it is, uh, acquiescing to a player wanting to no longer play in Montreal. However, he did just say today that he would like to play for, for Martin St. Louis for a long time. He says he brings joy back to the game. So I wonder if that relationship is healed in a certain way. Um, you know, like, like all things we'll wait and see with this rebuild retool. It looks like it's going to be more of a retool, which is a little frustrating, Um, but the free agency aspect of it, while I find it to be the wrong way to build a hockey team, if, you know, if there's, if there's a general manager, the Canadians have had in their last few, you know, general manager cycles who could execute that properly, the bet, my best bet would be on Kent Hughes to do it just based on his background as an agent. It doesn't mean he will but I think it gives the Canadians a good chance of, of making that happen. Um, but at the same time, that rebuild, or I should say, that, that designation as a retool then puts the onus on management. Okay, a, a, a rebuild, we would have expected to be competitive again in five years if you, if you fully tore down this roster and rebuilt it. If you're telling us this is a retool, I think you have three. I think you have two seasons to you know you make the playoffs in the in the second full season and the third season we better be we better be winning a round or two and making some noise. So that's that's what they're that's the the decision they're making and the the infrastructure they're building out of our expectations. If, if you're rebuilding, we, you know, we have a longer tolerance for how long it's supposed to take. But if you're saying it's a retool, I think you've got three years to get it together. So more power to them. If they can pull this off and not only build a Canadian's team that in three years is competitive, but is competitive in the now and you know five, six years into the future. That's the goal of all of this is to remain competitive, not just build one team that goes on a run and then you know, completely dissipates in the following years. So I wish them good luck. If that's the path they want to take, we've seen it not work before. That's that's the fear, is we've seen this retool and this lack of patience not work before. And this is just one thing I've been thinking about. Um, you know, I think about, I, I'm on Cat Friendly all the time. It's a very fun website for dorks. Um, and I think about Shea Weber's contract and the way that teams have been taking advantage of the long term injured reserve um you know not window but the 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 loopholes that come along with the l t i r designation essentially, you know, I won't go too far into it, but if you are up against the cap and a player on your roster is on long term injured reserve. You may exceed the salary cap by that player's cap hit. Um, for example, the Canadians, when they have Shea Weber on their cap hit, they can exceed the salary cap by 7.85 million dollars. Um, it doesn't give them, you know, it's more of a credit than it is actual cap space because you don't use that LTIR until you actually get over that 81 and a half million. It's not like the Canadians. If they were only paying $40 million in salary and they had Shea Weber on injured reserve, they don't have, you know, they don't have 88.95 in salary, you know, space or whatever. So I was wondering if there's a team that the Canadians could trade Shea Weber's cap hit to that could then use it to abuse that LTIR loophole. We've seen this before. There was the, a little bit of cap shenanigans a few years ago between the Leafs and the, I believe, the Blue Jackets. They swapped contracts between, um, I believe it was uh, Clarkson and Horton. They switched spots um, so because I believe the Leafs got a better cap penalty or cap um, credit by having those guys on their roster. So... You know, as long as they're not retired, they are on long-term injury reserve. They can be used for that uh, purpose. So I was wondering if a team like, say, Vegas could use Shea Weber for this purpose. And the reason I picked them is they're kind of going through the um, Nikita Kucherov thing where they're benching or they're they're putting one of their best players, if not their best player, on long-term injured reserve in order to activate somebody else. And that, of course, being Mark Stone, who's on the LTIR. I think he has a back problem is what they're saying. Um, And they put him on long-term injured reserve in order to activate Jack Eichel so that he could play his first games as a Vegas Golden Knight. The Golden Knights are under no obligation to take Um, Mark Stone off of LTIR until the end of the season, just like we saw with um, Nikita Kucherov. Or years ago, it was Patrick Kane in the playoffs for the Chicago Blackhawks. But let's say there's a scenario where the the Vegas Golden Knights have, have, you know, they really need to get Stone back in the lineup before the end of the season. Can Montreal offer Shea Weber's LTIR hit to add to their LTIR Roster. Right now, they have uh, Alec Martinez and Mark Stone on LTIR. Mark Stone makes about nine million dollars in salary. If they were to acquire Shea Weber on LTIR, they would have thirteen point one million between the two of them, so they can exceed the cap by thirteen point one million. You know, as they get to that level, you look at cap friendly. The two, the teams with the two highest cap hits are the Canadians and the Golden Knights. So you know, they would be exceeding that as well. The problem then becomes for the Canadians, like they're using that LTIR right now, but maybe they won't be next season. Um, You know, I think this was less of an exercise of me trying to find an immediate trade for Shea Weber, but wanting to illustrate the point that the Canadians can get creative to weaponize cap space. And you can sort of sell the debt that is Shea Weber to another team you can sell that 7.85 forever cap hit that they can exceed the cap by because Shea Weber's not going to play hockey again. Um, I still think that the Canadians should ask Shea Weber if he wants to retire um, and then call David Poyle every day in Nashville and beg him to trade something for you to you for Shea Weber so that they don't get hit with an insane cap recapture penalty. I don't think that's going to happen. So this is another way they can weaponize that. Um, again, does it make sense for the Canadians right now? No, because I think they need to use that cap that that cap uh, credit. But it's interesting to think about in the future they might be able to weaponize that dead cap hit. Um, just something to keep an eye on as more and more teams start to take advantage of that cap um, of that that cap credit that you get from an LTIR player. All right. Well, that was about an hour. Um, if, if you've listened all the way through this episode or this one and episode two and episode one, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. It's really just me in my attic um, talking to myself for an hour. And if you're along for the ride, I really appreciate it. Uh, if you like the show, consider sharing it. Um, I'd really appreciate it. Um, you know, I don't have ads running on this. I might soon, but it, it would put a couple cents in my pocket at that point. Um, but it's also just nice to get the word out. I, I, like, I like having conversations about this sort of thing. Um, if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out The Montreal Bias. Um, they're another po- a Rabbit Hubs podcast. Um, Zach Vanoss and Sean O'Neill talked about the state of the Canadians recently and, and included about an hour's worth of talk about jackass. So very, very fun. Um, they're sort of... That podcast is one of my... The first Canadians ones that I really cued in on. Um, they got me started in you know the podcasting space Zach invited me on um, way back when I was in university so um, I am indebted to the podfather and to the Montreal Bias so you can check them out at Rabbit Habs um, for this podcast that podcast other blogs you can follow me at maybe it's Ian Uh, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is Inside by Fred Mugg check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page to listen to the rest of his stuff it's very very cool um thanks for listening again uh, take care of yourself it's a weird place out there um, we'll get through it all right talk next week bye